The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, he's got hoagies from Laspadas and cheesesteaks from Coco's. It's Andy Greenwald. Good morning. Obviously, we're talking about Mayor of Easttown today, and we'll get into it, but I don't think it's a spoiler to say Chris is referring to a gift basket that was prepared by from one character to another. I won't get into the specifics until we get into our spoiler conversation. And I have to ask, Chris, I didn't intend to start here, but you did. So here we are. Yeah. Is there any other city that fully embraces the gnarliest cliches of itself like our hometown? Because my thing is, if... As a New Yorker, when I was a New Yorker for many years, if I, let's say I sprained my ankle, right? Yeah. And someone was like, I'm going to make you a gift basket. Would they make <laughs> a gift basket with like a bunch of dirty water hot dogs from the cart by Central Park, right? Uh-huh. And some hot nuts from the vendor on the Upper West Side. And what else am I missing here? Like I, I don't know, like, 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 a, like, like some, a Nick's some warm-up cocaine towel? and a rent increase. <laughs> okay, right. And then I'd be like, "Thank you." Uh huh. This is what I missed, though. I live here my whole life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No. I mean, I think definitely you're onto something there. I'm not. I can't say that I have uh, traveled to all corners of this country, so I'm not sure whether or not people in Iowa are like, "Man, I love corn." You yeah, know, like who knows? But it like, definitely I'm, I'm feels feeling like... a little down. I, what I need <laughs> is someone to go out into the world outside my home and bring me back a couple bushels That's to right. remind me of being alive. Just so I can shuck, just to feel something. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that they they lean into it here for sure. Uh, Andy, it's great to see you. Speaking of New York City, I went to New York this weekend. Shout out to everybody out on the street drinking White Claw. Um, it was it was basically like Mardi Gras. I was I was mm-hmm. kind of like. I was I was I was overwhelmed, but I was also feeling it. It was also like I first time I had experienced like true humidity since 2011. So thanks for that. How did you react to it? Like how how did your body handle it? Just sweating. You know what I mean? Like just sweating, right. walking through walking through Dime Square, just leaking out. It was pretty tough, but it was really awesome to be back out there. It's obviously like feels like we're turning a bit of a corner out there in America, which is nice. You were turning some corners into crowds of unmasked people. Yeah. <laughs> 
Were you just high fiving folks? Were you just like, no, I haven't. I see. That's the thing is that like everybody's talking about hot back summer. I just don't know if hot dap summer is coming back. When when will we be back into giving each other pounds? Like physical contact. Yeah, yeah. I gotta say, of all the things that I miss from the world that is now, as you said, thankfully, a sneak attack hug is not one of them. I'm good. I'm I'm good. Not physically, you know, interacting with everyone that I meet. That's fine. <laughs> we are produced, by the way, as always, by Kaya McMullen today on the watch, and we are going to talk about Mayor of Easttown. But I thought maybe Andy we would start with the the Eternals trailer, which dropped today mm-hmm. uh, unexpectedly. I, you weren't I, I expecting it. it. I wasn't. Yeah, I'm definitely the guy. <laughs> like, wow, look what's coming across the transom this morning. So uh, I think, you know, folks can check out Midnight Boys on the Ringerverse because uh, I think they are doing an emergency pod on this entire trailer anyway. But mm. we could we can still add our two cents here. And my two cents are such that I am saying they certainly are setting this up to be the new Avengers. Yep. Um, even with the little joke at the end and that dinner sequence that they're they're having a meal together, kind of mirroring what uh, Joss Whedon did with the, the Avengers and the sort of stinger. Was that in Ultron or in the first one where they're having uh, Greek food together? They're having Euros, shawarma. Euros. Yeah. Shawarma. Yeah, yeah. So they're kind of, I mean, obviously, like, I think that I was sort of like, oh my God, I really forgot how many people were in this movie, like Brian mm-hmm. Tyree Henry, and there's Kumail, and there's Salma Hayek's voice, and there's Angelina Jolie. Uh, and then it seems like the the film itself is uh, about Gemma Chan and um, uh, Richard Madden. Richard Madden. I just just having Snow and Stark in the in the movie mm-hmm. is really overwhelming, but yeah, it just definitely felt like there have been a couple of Marvel things where they're like singles to write, and I'm like, oh, cool, you guys are doing that. That's that's dope. And then it's like this one seems like a home run swing. Yeah, I think the 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 main thing that surprised me, well, there are two things. One is what you're alluding to, which is, and I don't know if it would have felt this way if this had been November 2020, but this feels now to be very swollen with import to the larger project in that there's been no new Avengers movies announced. There's no new Avengers like adjacent projects announced other than these, you know, a lot of the phase four or whatever movies that have, that are on the horizon are all either sequels or offshoots playing out the string of those respective stories yeah. or like the Clean Thor up movie. Clean Isle Avengers basically. Yeah. Or the Thor movie, which is just like, boy, this was working. Let's keep going off in this other direction. This seems to be ready to step into the void. And so my second thing, the second thing that surprised me, and it shouldn't have because this is a Chloe Zhao film, it is a massive tone shift for what the Marvel Universe has been peddling for the last few years. This is much more godlike in perspective mm-hmm. and pomp, if not circumstance, than anything we've seen before, and thus a little more DCE. I would say, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think the one thing that's kept Kevin Feige and his entire team uh, at the forefront of, well, I was going to say culture, but I could also just say money making, (laughs) is being able to nimbly shift the types of stories that are possible within this uh, larger storytelling project while still having a little insidery banter at the end. I will say that as someone who has seen Chloe Zhao's films and have never once experienced banter, that felt... Very much. Uh, David Stratherin and, and uh, uh, Francis McDormand, you know, chop it up a little bit in Nomadland. I, 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 let me be clear. They have a very uh, genuine and human connection and interaction, both because they're wonderful actors, but because the, sh- the, the movie just sort of ambles in their direction and something unfolds. So, you know, stapling 
not just humanity, but stapling kind of clever joke at the end, self-referential joke at the end of it felt a little odd. It also felt a little bit like you're safe to the audience. Like, don't worry, we're still part of this larger thing. Because otherwise, where, where even are we? And not only where even are we, who are we worried about? There, it's interesting to note there are no evident villains in this trailer either. It's basically saying here is a monumental century spanning story that we're gonna have to we're gonna have to download you on real quick. Yeah, right. To get you on board. That said, the also worth noting, we we joked a couple of weeks ago that Kevin Feige was quoted as being like, Chloe showed me some footage, and I was like, How much did you spend on these CGI shots of of waves? And she was like, this is in camera, Kevin. You've never used your eyes before. And so clearly that was here. It looked beautiful. Um, I wondered if post-Oscars, she was going to get some dap in this trailer, which is very much against the- Oh, like a film by Chloe Zhao? The big franchise, that, that doesn't happen. And it didn't happen here, but I wondered. I wonder if she traded her credits for the shot of touching wheat. That happens lot, in the lot, yeah. lot of Malik like touching of wheat. Tell me a little bit about the Eternals. I, am I going to um, need to read a lot of like mythology and and get like very like I'm sure that they're going to set this up for the layman anyway. But I'm curious whether or not people who d- had like a kind of if if not a, a working knowledge of of characters like Iron Man and Captain America at least had that passive mm-hmm. kind of awareness of who they were. How much of a mountain do they have to climb with these characters to explain sort of what they're about and what their their purpose is? The best case scenario for this movie is almost nothing. The worst case would be if they felt very concerned and you felt the concern leaching into the storytelling. And so there was a lot of hand-holding and back, back-filling of story. What Feige has proven himself very skilled at is distilling every character concept down to something very relatable. So that you don't have to spend a lot of time, you know, you, you don't have to kill Batman's parents every time there's a new character, metaphorically or figuratively speaking. So one thing that's always cool about the Marvel Universe is that there are layers of story and you can have a Spider-Man has to balance his homework and also stop Doc Ock and, you know, buy flowers for Aunt May's birthday story. And you can also have a story that introduces the concept of the living tribunal, a massive body with three-faced head that is judging the universe while it is unfolding and stands in a white sphere with eternity and death. Mm-hmm. Like that exists too <laughs> because Jim Starlin and all of other Marvel creators were doing a shit ton of acid in the 70s. We've seen that unfold in real time with the Marvel movies because there could be Tony Stark makes a suit of armor, but also Norse gods are real. Right. And then now we also have the multiverse and we have a lot of space stories because of Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain Marvel. Secret invasion. Yeah. This could, if done right, this is basically saying, okay, there was another thing going on this whole time. And I think what they're leaning into is the idea that the Eternals are basically godlike alien entities that have lived among us for a long time and much like the role of God, maybe they've been mistaken mistaken for gods by various cultures, have nudged humanity forward. With yeah, like in the trailer, kind of, like they give us, there's like a little stream. At some point, they give like a sharp object, like a knife to like introduce, um, I suppose, mm-hmm. the Iron Age. I was wondering if it, at some point, maybe Richard Madden will give us Twitter. What a gift. What, thank you, <laughs> Eternals, for steering us on this path, which no notes, going great. Um, I think that, it's worthwhile and fun to 
dig back into the Jack Kirby created head trip comics that mm-hmm. that inspired these characters, but they are either a challenge or an opportunity because they don't have the deepest connection to the Marvel universe as not just as we know it as comic readers of the last thirty years, but also as we know it as movie viewers of the last yeah because 10 plus the, the years. last the last I think you know aside from the fact that they were trying to chase an infinity gauntlet through space and time and various galaxies. And they were fighting against a giant dude with like a, a chin named Thanos. Like a the lot chin of those, wasn't named Thanos, by the way, no, his chin, his chin just came with the name. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, a lot of the most successful Marvel movies for me did feel a little bit grounded. Like if you look at something like civil war or winter soldier, those are essentially like espionage movies with some flying, you know, you sound just like the Russo brothers. This is basically the parallax view, yeah, but with uh, Frank Grillo in it. Right. So I, I, I guess the question is then: Do you uh, is that the kind of thing you respond to when it's outside of the Marvel universe? Is the, these kinds of like uh, Terrence Malicky, uh, ponderous, wistful, poetic films, or is that what you respond to outside of Marvel? And and do you think that that's like something that people will be looking forward to with the Eternals? I think this is an exciting big swing where a lot of things have come together in terms of, obviously the delay was for tragic reasons, for the delay of the year to 2021, it helps no one. But I actually think that it whets the appetite in a more interesting way for this movie, Um, not just because of Chloe Zhao's star, which has risen so much uh, in the interim, but also I am definitely ready to sit in a theater and have an event, you know, and to be transported. And I appreciate that they are not, I mean, they probably have the plans to do this at some point further down the line, but I'm much more at this moment open to a giant swing that has mm-hmm. some artistic uh, energy and enthusiasm behind it than I am for a kind of jury-rigged Avengers 2.0 with all the yeah, secondary yeah, yeah. characters and sidekicks in order to retcon something that happened in a previous movie. This doesn't, there's different ways to to run at this and it's it's high risk for the company, of course, but like, this doesn't feel flop sweaty in any way. This no. feels like we're going for it. And, you know, again, the beauty of the optionality of of what Feige has designed is this is either the next Avengers or he'll get credit for taking a big swing and handing it to a Oscar winning filmmaker. And P.S. Thor 4 dropping in Q1. You That's know what right. I mean? Do you have like a litmus test for what will be the first movie you go back to see? I was thinking about this because everybody knows, um, you know, that the, the movie theater is my temple. Um, I mean, you, know, you, lo- I, I, you do love a Monday morning movie before you have to podcast about it. Well, but that's the thing. So I was thinking about my own relationship with movie theaters and do I miss them? Yes. But am I going to be going back for um, an art house film or the new Wes Anderson or whatever? Pro- probably. But more likely, it's going to be a practical thing where I am rushing to the well, RIP the Arclight. I don't know where I'm going to go anymore, but I'm probably going to see Black Widow first. Like that is probably what's right. going to happen. And I'm kind of not mad at that. That feels like a fun thing to do. See, I was uh, wondering whether or not you're, because like over this year, you've become such a criterion head that I was curious you. whether or not you would be mm-hmm. like, Chris, I, you know, I'll be recording on Eastern Time Zone because I'm flying to New York to go see something at the Museum of the Moving Image or something. You know, like there's these these shorts from like an obscure Japanese filmmaker playing. I I should be like that. I'm not proud to say that I'm not, but I definitely am part of the problem in that what's actually going to motivate me is the discourse. A quiet quiet place. Yeah, right. And resuming, resuming my place in it. 
Chris, before we get into um, the penultimate episode of Mayor, I do have just sort of just freestyling here for a second. And I don't know if you saw the news that just came across this morning that the uh, uh, long introduction. Ta- are you talking about Taika Waititi? Okay, can we talk about that? I, I saw your eyes light up when I said Thor 4, and you're like, I think he's only got two right now, but give him time. I, you know, pre-podcast, you guys know we, you know, we prep a lot, obviously. We just, yeah. we're constantly just in the content minds, just, you know, rummaging for ore to bring onto the show. But I, I did um, scan the headlines at the old vulture.com, and I saw a thing about Taika, and I was like, I should click on this, because we cover... <laughs> We cover his movies, you know, yeah, we're sure. about to talk Eternals. And the headline was talking about him and Tessa Thompson. And I was like, so this is just like celebrity, like paparazzi shots of like the set of, of, of the new Thor movie. And, you know, full disclosure, we started the podcast and I did not have Zoom on my screen. I was already on like the third link on people.com and about to just mute you so I could talk to Kaya and explain this to me because... When you go big into franchise entertainment, I think it changes you. Because last time we checked with Taika, he's just like, hey, I'm everybody's friend. I'm making a TV show and I is make that, little movies I, with my buddies. That's a good Taika voice, yeah. And, and then, now he is, uh, he's parted company with his wife. Separated, yeah. For, for, the, for, the, for the companionship of what appears to be two, two celebrity ladies. I mean, that's right. And so he's picked up two celebrity girlfriends a Star Wars movie. He was, let's be let's be clear because I don't want to I don't want to like you know throw false uh, cast cast aspersions here. He is sure. he was photographed seemingly having an intimate moment with both Rita Ora and Tessa Thompson. They were canoodling. Say it. You won't say it. I'll say it. They were clearly canoodling. There were mimosas in evidence. Uh-huh. And I mean, look, there are a couple things. You know, on New Year's Eve when it's like four p.m. No, it's like two p.m. and all of a sudden they're like. And the new year is greeted in Australia with fire. Like, so Australia is often a harbinger of what's to come for us. And Australia, from what I understand, has done a pretty good job with COVID. Mm-hmm. They have like bands are touring and there are things happening. So is Taika the first shot of the revolutionary VAC summer that's coming? Like, yeah. is he right. the canary he's, in the coal mine for all of us? He's, he's, he's Metaphorically he's speaking. <laughs> Right. Yes. <laughs> For all mankind. That's right. Is that what's going on? Uh, I mean, I, I mean I, look, I was uh, out in the streets of New York City. I saw like a woman smoking a blunt and making out with a mailbox. You know what I mean? I think everybody <laughs> is just ready to let it all hang out. I'm fully supportive of this as a representative of the world. Yeah. I, I am not commenting. We don't we don't go do salacious gossip on this podcast. No. I hope everyone no, is no, responsible no. adults are <laughs> taking care of each other. There's emotional good health and respecting each other. But this does seem appropriate for the moment, but it, it actually is kind of a segue into what I was going to say, which is how much does franchise entertainment and dalliances with it corrupt? There's nothing corrupt about what's going on between consenting adults. I don't want to be a, a prude here, but I was going to bring up the fact that this long gestating Willy Wonka prequel movie, something mm-hmm. the streets were demanding. <laughs> the Chalamet one? <laughs> has cast yeah. Chalamet in his first <laughs> real dabbling with the dark side. And I wanted to know if you had any thoughts on it. Now, obviously, I'm in the it's, tank for this because I love him and the Paddington people are making this movie. So clearly, it's going to be a so masterpiece. I'm sure that but, there's going to be that explanation that like, oh, the Paddington people are making it. So it's essentially like mm-hmm. a, a Godard movie. But like, I just think that, you know, obviously, the spice was a gateway drug. My boy did do. Oh. He's been sitting on the bench for a minute. 
you know, the Call Me By Your Name sequel probably, I would imagine, is not going to happen because of Army Hammer, right? I mean, so, nothing is happening regarding Army Hammer, so that's a great point. Right, so Tim's just... He's just whiling away 2021 and he needs something to do. And then they come calling with this Willy Wonka money. I, I just think that like, it, it, I, to me, you, I, was, I was looking at like the reviews for Cruella. I don't know if Cruella is going to be mm. something that your family engages in because of, you know, I know your kids love, love all types of content. Quick, quick, quick update. I'm going to lay a marker down and say there is no way we're engaging in it. Uh, second update. I came home from picking up a pizza the other week and uh, there was a $30 deduction on my credit card due to uh, Raya and the Last Dragon impatience. So <laughs> I can't say that we fulfilled, like, I, I just want you to know that everyone listening, that like all parents, I like to publicly stake a sure. moral line yeah. that is very porous. And, and then you, you find that you're, that you're willing to negotiate on points you would never imagine. But you side, <laughs> side note, I'm really upset. The movie seems good. My kids like it. But side note, I'm really Raya. upset that they that they burned that title because I was pitching a sitcom about an aging Hollywood guy who had settled into marriage and had two kids and then his marriage falls apart and it was going to be called uh, Raya and the Last Dragon and the, the guy's the last dragon and the dating site Raya. Why, why even make it a Hollywood guy? Why not make it an actual aging dragon who gets on Raya? Whoa, Jonas yeah. Sarah. <laughs> Jonas Raya. Sarah glasses. The, the, the Last Dragon on Raya. You know? Wow. The dragon would clean up. You think clean so? Up. All the dragon would have to do is just send flame emojis <laughs> and everyone would be like, ha ha, this dragon is witty. Like, I, you know, um, I feel like that would work. Okay, sorry, but you were saying the, the Cruella discourse. You were curious. Oh, yeah, I mean, there, to the extent that there is a Cruella discourse, I, I, I read one blog post that, like, uh, like basically aggregated a bunch of Twitter responses to the, like, the screening that they did of Cruella. Cool. But they, people were like, I don't like live action adaptations of this kind of stuff usually, but this was great. This was legitimately good. This was awesome. Emma, Emma Stone's great. And I was like, this is probably where we're going to be now, you know, where the way you can make mm. some kind of weird art punk movie is to make, to do something with the Cruella IP. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look at like the the soundtrack for Cruella, it's like The Clash and T-Rex and like 70s glammy and, and glam rock and punk. And uh, I don't know. To me, that sucks. You know what I mean? I would prefer to have like real movies and not have to have everything shot through the prism of like, ah, but it's like also part of the Dalmatians verse. Is that mm-hmm. what Cruella is, right? She's the, yeah. the bad guy in the Dalmatians movies. So yeah, that that really, that's not a good sign. And it's not a good sign that we are like, we are like kind of allowing that to just be like, well, you know, it's like we have to deal with the hammer. We have to play the hammer given. So let's give Cruella its props. You're but right. for all that's- I know, Cruella is like, better than you know it's well there's like a phenomenal movie there's always two conversations there's there's the micro and the macro and like in the micro like it could could be a good movie like i love emma stone i think craig gillespie made this movie like these are talented people making something they they clearly had fun doing which it matters they were invested in it creatively the macro is your point like those two people should be able to make a real movie (laughs) like for grown-ups that's 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 what i'm saying to cartoon dogs (laughs) the reason but my way into this for the Timothy Chalamet thing, it's just that I think you know, maybe some of our listeners know that I, I, I'm working from my office and my office is in a, once again, completely abandoned, which is starting <laughs> to get weird, uh, Hollywood production facility. And the hallways here are lined with You wouldn't posters. know it from the motorcycle rally that typically happens outside of the window of your office every time well, we have the to The office record. is in Sturgis proper, like within <laughs> the, the city limits. 
Um, Christy Gnome just pops her head in without a mask every once in a while. Just, just like, you need up. anything? Yeah. The, I, the script's I, coming. <laughs> it's true. You would never know that Uncle Joe's infrastructure plan is stalled in Congress if you were to work out of my office because the jackhammers, they're going from morning yeah. to night. Build just back making, better. Yeah. Building it all back better. But the hallways here are lined with movie posters. And at first I thought they were movies that had been like maybe post had happened here or something. And now I just think that there was a sale at a movie poster store. Like Hollywood Video went out of business and they bought the posters because absolutely there is no way that all of these movies were made here. But there are, between me and my office here in the bathroom, which is weirdly far away, mm-hmm. um, there are at least four or five movie posters for Johnny Depp films of the 2010s, including okay. Sweeney Todd, including uh, Willy Wonka, which I was thinking of. And Johnny Depp's just clearly exposed and worrying and problematic personal foibles aside from the last few years. I was just thinking about what a what an odd arc professionally that was for someone who coming out of the 90s, we were like, this is our greatest living American actor. He's so inventive and exciting, and charismatic. And then he puts on the mask and he puts on the makeup. I mean, he obviously already done Edward Scissorhands, so that was clearly his thing. But post Pirates of the Caribbean, he was just like, great. How much foundation are you slathering on me? What size is my hat? You know, and how big is the paycheck? And then that was a 10-year run of just being a weirdo hiding and stuff. Right. Now, clearly, he was a weirdo hiding and stuff, but... I, you, don't I was want, just, you don't want that for Tim. No. Yeah. No, I, I, I want to live in a world where the Homeland IP is resurrected for his character, where he wasn't, uh, spoiler alert, in a spoiler alert, and could live on another day and just really show us what it's like to be the 30-year-old son of a disgraced vice president. <laughs> <laughs> well, wouldn't that be an interesting film? I think if we're talking about building back better, for sure. (laughs) Thank you for your support on that journey. I really appreciate it. Um, Let's take a quick, quick break and we'll be right back and talk about Mare of Easttown. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're on episode six of Mayor of Easttown, and I still think every time I say the name of the show, I still think that I'm saying Mayor of Easttown. Hmm. You know? You think you're saying it, so you are, you are fooling yourself. I say Mayor, and then I'm like, gosh, that sounds like Mayor. <laughs> uh, that's one observation I have about that show. Great. Uh, I think we're done for today. Yeah, so let's talk about the penultimate episode. You know, over the last, I'd say since True Detective came out, so that would have been 12, right? 2012? Was it that long ago? 11, no. 12? I can't remember. I, I remember writing about it in 12, if I, if I remember correctly. Maybe for the year end of 12, I wrote about it. I think so. Because I remember also calling Jason Concepcion or like texting him after the, the tracking shot. 2014. And I was in LA. So, so, we're, so it's incredible. <laughs> Chris is just basically filing a copyright infringement claim against Nick Pizzolatto. Sorry, Back buddy. in 2012, Chris was writing and incepting. Yeah. <laughs> So let me take that again. No, I think please go, don't. If you go back to 2014 when True Detective Season 1 came on and that was sort of the... I think um, I'll just mark that as like the beginning of the prestige procedural gold rush. Maybe not procedural, but the prestige mystery, the prestige crime show mm-hmm. gold rush. You had shows like The Wire that were around and were obviously geared towards more analysis of institutions, but were not mystery box shows. They were not whodunits. But True Detective starts this kind of wave of shows that are looking to approach essentially like a, a mystery whodunit with from a variety of different angles and often with much more like high-minded kind of um, goals. Not to say that there, you can't have low-minded mysteries that are totally great because Andy and I love those. Usually what happens with these shows is they start off and you're so immersed in the world building, in the setting, in the supporting characters you're meeting that you kind of the mystery kind of slowly builds and then and then all of a sudden, somewhere around the second to last or third to last episode, the bill comes due. And they have to do a lot of the crime show stuff that maybe had been getting, mm-hmm. not pushed to the side, but just was put on equal footing with, this is what these people like to eat and drink. And this is what they mm-hmm. talk about when they're in the kitchen. And this is what their kids are like. Um, so obviously what happened in this episode of Mare was... Uh, seemingly all at once, even though I think that there had been a consistent amount of like, you know, detective work going on throughout the season. But seemingly all at once, we have all these threads of mystery kind of coming together. And it's up to uh, Brad Inglesby and Craig Sobel to kind of knot them all together. Mm-hmm. And I was guess we could start with that. Did you notice that change? Did you notice they rounded the turn here? And what did you think of the work that they did in that regard? I am going to answer your very insightful 10,000-foot view with my own, hopefully insightful, 10,000-foot Just passing view. each other in midair. Yeah, exactly. Just a couple airplanes flying. Two, two pilots just being like, hey, brother, <laughs> you fly these guys often? Any turbulence ahead? I guess yeah. I'll, I'll find out. Any unexpected stops in Belarus? Hopefully no. Hopefully no. I, first of all, do I have to cancel my, my summer plans now? 
Can I make this about me? Were you going to Belarus? The num- I mean, my oh, Ryanair are you worried frequent- that you're So you're worried that you're just going to be flying to New York and they're going to be like, we're going to make an unexpected stop in Minsk or something? No, I'm worried that like I'm going to cash in my Ryanair points and I'm going to be <laughs> flying to New York and they're going to have an unscheduled stop over Ojai because Nick Pizzolatto is like controls the airspace there. And he's just like, there's a dissident journalist who didn't like my show aboard and I'm going to have him over for barbecue and beers and we're going to talk it out. Okay, going back to your point about the true, de- the true detective moment is really crucial. That was the moment when a certain type of story went widescreen on the small screen and became an event both because of the star wattage, but also just the way it was, especially HBO, was marketing it to us. Sunday nights, I mean, this is not true just of HBO, it was the larger industry. Sunday nights is less and less about, oh, how exciting. Um, Fifth episode of the third season of my favorite show. And we're in, you know, that'll feel that way when Succession is on. But in between the successions of the world, which are few and far between at the moment, it's been event series. You know, in a way, HBO went from the undoing, like Lovecraft Country, the undoing, here we are with this show. And because of that, they are not just struggling to tell a good story, which is still so hard. And not just tell a good story when you're in the genre, tell a successful mystery story, which is an additional thing you have to do. Because telling a good story, I think, is on an emotional and character level. Telling a good mystery story a lot of that is structural, procedural um, planning, which is a different skill set entirely. So not only are you doing those two things, you are also trying to do something that will engage in successful battle with the way it will be received, which will be the Reddit uh, community, like who did it culture, yeah. which will be Online the culture sleuths. of podcasting and recapping and how are we topping the last thing? How are we subverting expectations? Yeah, they're doing and, the re, they're doing regular recaps on Vulture of of uh, Maravista, but they're also doing an odds, like what are the odds on this person, this person, or this person right. being and, the main criminal of the show? And one of the underlying drumbeats that I think it's impossible for creators to ignore is that anything conventional in your storytelling, even if you've earned a conventional ending with your brilliant world building will be disappointing somehow and you will not quote unquote stick the landing and we're coming off of a show like the undoing um which had a lot going for it i think it had a lot of flaws but it's disruption it's trick right and this i don't think this is a spoiler necessarily to say was the person you think did it did it mm-hmm. it was an anti trick trick basically all of this is backdrop for a show that has done a very good job in addition to all the many good jobs it's doing of playing fast and loose with our expectations and subverting them. And I think it did particularly well by having this side story, Katie, Missing Girls, the guy in the bar, um, running to confuse our sense of tempo as to where we are in the quote-unquote big story, the Aaron story. As established in this penultimate episode, Again, anything could change next week. We have not watched ahead, but it seems very likely that the chief's working theory is right, that they are unrelated cases. Mm -hmm. That allowed us to have this incredible catharsis in terms of suspense and excitement in the show. And I mean, we were joking how it wasn't totally surprised, but uh, let's just say the the completion of Evan (laughs) Peters' arc. Yeah, the Colin Zabel arc, yeah. uh, A week or two early. Mm Mm-hmm. That put the penultimate episode in a very unexpected place for a penultimate episode. All of this prologue was to say, this episode to me had big second episode energy. Um, That's not necessarily a criticism. It's just thinking about it in the taxonomy of the types of episodes you get. Yeah. 
Yeah. Removing Colin Zabel, removing the peril and the mounting suspense of the Katie storyline took a lot of momentum out of the, took a lot of wind out of the sails of the show that we had been watching. That was a choice. And I think it's probably a successful choice for the type of story that Inglesby wants to tell. But there was no mistaking the fact that it was a drop-off in terms of the intensity and in terms of our, at least my own engagement with the show for a week. And when I say second episode energy, second episodes are generally the one where people are like, okay, we're just getting the gang back together. We got to, I guess, do the pilot again, but also set up some threads for where we're going. Mm-hmm. Mayor, because of the breakneck way that the season began, second episode was no problem. But yeah. this had that energy to me for good or for ill. I think that a, a good place to look for the for what I'm talking about here is um, the penultimate episodes of Wire Seasons, which typically mm-hmm. had the most dramatic thing happen mm-hmm. in that episode. And then the final episode of a season of a, of The Wire would be like the coda. It would be... And and honestly, maybe given how, how much stress was put on that show in terms of like, will they or won't they renew The Wire for another season, which I wasn't quite as hysterical because I think Simon and, and HBO have such a good working mm-hmm. relationship that... But there was some feeling around three, for instance, that it wasn't exactly clear, will they do a fourth? Will they do a fifth? But what they what that creative team did so well was all the important stuff happens in the second to last episode, like the character deaths or whatever. And in the last episode, you kind of think about what you learned and yeah. set people up for their next adventure. So by that sort of ruler, we should probably have gotten Zabel in this episode. We should probably have gotten the return of the girls in this episode. All this stuff should probably should have been stretched into six and then seven should have been some kind of coda, I guess, with the Ross brothers. This is something potentially, if we have the opportunity to talk to Brad Inglesby, I would love to talk to him about. Yeah. Episode six, this penultimate episode, its energy reminded me in some ways of another HBO event series that we really loved last year, The Outsider. Yeah. Which brought everything to the precipice of an event and then cliffhangered the penultimate episode, which made me wonder if this was scripted as six episodes and the finale was so big that it was broken into two and snapped the snapping point, like the stalk of an asparagus was when things are about to get wild, um, which, which then completely changes our calculus. But I hope, I mean, this is maybe a kind of a technical or industry kind of way to be covering it, but I found this really fascinating. I don't think this is necessarily, none of this is coloring our our warm feelings about the show. I just found that extra piece interesting of like, how are we also going to deliver on the meta piece of it? And, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to do like I was taught in, in co- freshman year of college, like to use I statements, like I was thinking about this. We were thinking about this in Briar Patch. Like we intentionally, this isn't a spoiler. Hopefully people will still watch it on Peacock. Um, reveal the killer when no one's expecting it at the end of episode eight, take everyone off the board for a weird episode while everyone's waiting, hopefully to find out what it all means. And then wrap it up in 10. Mm-hmm. Because that felt like a different energy. Because the Wire penultimate episode, This Is Where It All Happens, is ingrained now in yeah. the prestige drama audience. I For the first time this season, and I think we've just kind of gotten used to, like, if you want to get Kate Winslet, it's going to be like a six or seven week. I mean, if you're lucky to get somebody as big as Nicole sure. Kidman or Kate Winslet or whoever, it's going to be, you're not going to get her for the length of a Mindhunter season or the length of a, a succession season, you know? But I felt like I can detect the bones of a 10-episode multi-season show in this in Mare, especially mm-hmm. now. Um, I think that uh, I've talked a little bit about like the POV of the of the show and how I felt like it had kind of deviated from Mare's. And, you know, like in retrospect, I do think that there 
were probably more ensemble moments in the earlier episodes than I remember correctly. I think it was had more to do with how much of the narrative revolved around Mare versus had moments that were independent of of Mare's existence. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that is increased more and more as the weeks have gone by. And I think that so, for instance, when you see the Siobhan plotline, which mm-hmm. is really kind of quite moving to think about the cycles of guilt and pain that go through these families and that that she must be feeling that this whole family is experienced through the suicide of Kevin, through the dissolving of the of, of Frank and Mare's relationship. Obviously, the the um the suicide, Mare's father's suicide, you know, like all this stuff that's kind of lingering, like looming over this family. And Siobhan is this character who has that chance to get out, you know, because mm-hmm. she she has this in at Cal Berkeley, but she gets insists on saying, and uh, you know, it she's the one, like, even the way her scenes are shot are like a little bit more brightly colored and have like a little different of a palette because there, there's there's music and there's people and like I don't know, she has like there's almost like that feeling like she has the escape hatch, which obviously kind of shuts a little bit this week. But that plot line to me is part of like that could have been like a bigger show. That could have mm-hmm. been, or at least a longer show, not like a bigger show in terms of importance. What do you what do you think of that idea? Well, first, I think we should point out the fact that it was noteworthy that Siobhan was revealed to be an eternal this week because she is somehow <laughs> able to at once attend a Boy Genius concert in 2018, 2019, and hear a song from the as yet unreleased Phoebe Bridgers album Punisher while spiraling in her room. So that was amazing. Kudos to her. Uh, or maybe LimeWire's back, you know what I mean? And we just don't know it because we're old. <laughs> That's right. Um, the tension you're talking about is worth examining. I think it'll next week will tell us a lot. Generally, I feel like these things are constructed to leave it all out on the field, you know, and, and the closer the consequences of the season come to Mare's own choices, her own life and family, the less likely it is that we can just run it back with, you know, more Easttown follies in seasons yeah. to come. It also causes us to watch differently. And again, this is the meta part of it, right? Like watching week to week the show is so expansive and its sense of community is so rich and well-crafted that from the beginning, when we talked to Kate, we were like, can you come back and do more after one episode? And she said she would want to. And there is, you know, with one week to go that could blow all this away, there is absolutely a world where where this is like, you know, like Luther is for Idris Elba or Prime Suspect was yeah. for Helen Mirren. Like, we'll come back when we get the team together or and we Sherlock have a story to tell. Benedict Cumberbatch and, and Martin Freeman, yeah. Exactly. And in that world, all the time spent with Siobhan and her own relationship to her past and her family and where she wants to go and what she wants to be, it's all worth it because it's paying off in a different way. There's then a darker version of this where it, the show is done after this, after next week. And a lot of the time with Siobhan was to obfuscate and create another, you know, a haze of mystery that leads to uh, her being the murderer, which I know is preposterous. And yet, in the broad church syllabus of the season, she was on. She was in the barrel a little bit last night. Um, yes, I, I, I don't think that she did it. But, and again, I think that the fog that I'm operating under. Yeah, I mean, like is, the, the idea that good. the FBI agent is like it, she was shot with the kind of gun your father yes. would have owned. Like, and that definitely. And, and Kevin died in the attic. Mayor doesn't go to the attic anymore. The attic is where a lot of old things are often kept. With Siobhan up there in the attic, is the picture that is given to the chief at the end 
Not a picture, as, as Brian Grubb tweeted today, of Allen Iverson hugging the Philly fanatic, which I really wish that it was. But instead, a picture of Siobhan suggesting that there was some tortured relationship there and something that we have no idea about has occurred. Um, we also saw another side of Siobhan where she finally let out her emotions and was drinking and well, she all, you know, we also know that she was at she was at the park. She was in the woods, right? So, look, the challenge. I I I really tip my cap to everybody involved because the challenge of keeping all these plates spinning is it's pretty impossible. And the more time you spend trying to see how each plate is particularly doing, it's it's a that's a sucker's game. But. So I'm engaged on that level of, I don't want it to be that for these reasons, but could it be that for those reasons? I mean, I'm hooked. That's the takeaway. It's successful. But our perception of what's to come is changed. Like if we knew this was an ongoing, or if we knew they had already announced the second season, then my feelings about what it meant for Siobhan, like I kind of don't want to, I'll just put this marker down. I don't want more mayor if it's now her dealing with the fact that her son killed himself and her daughter is a murderer and she lost her grandson. I don't, we're good. That was a disastrous tragedy. And that's what the show was. I, I mean, I've, I've heard a bunch of, of pretty reasonable theories. You know, like there's the there's the one that like those kids basically like DJ and Jess are somehow involved with the the, the escort site or like that they like have been blackmailing mm-hmm. people or something. Or sorry, Dylan. D- DJ is the kid. Dylan the, mm-hmm. is the dad. The Dylan characters kind of flipped a few times where it's like, oh, he's a dumb guy but like meant well or he meant did not mean well and he's not dumb and now he's like Mm -hmm. recovering but he loves his kid but now he doesn't i i guess like you know speaking to all your the the points you're making about the meta quality of watching television in 2021 the guy pierce thing is kind of like waiting for an enormous shoe to drop right because you have to wonder when you have somebody of guy pierce's caliber in the show and it reunites mare with her co-star from mildred pierce and he's got a huge role in Mildred Pierce and there's no rule that says Guy Pierce has to do anything but kind of show up and drink a rolling rock and hear exposition. But that's kind of what he's done so far. Um, I think that there's like, it, there was a strange changeover where he, the role that he seemed to be playing, which was slowly bringing Mare back into the, into the world of emotion and, and vulnerability was taken over by Zabel in the middle part of the season. So it's kind of odd when he comes over and they have like this kind of catch up conversation and he's like, I'm single, but f- feel free to give me a call or whatever. That that seems like something where you're like, if this was just like any other actor, I probably would have bought it. But it seems strange to have somebody like Guy Pierce in that role. Here's the weird thing about this season so far with one episode to go. If you removed Guy Pierce entirely and the Richard character entirely, I don't think the show is any worse for it. I don't think it affects anything, um, frankly. And I don't mean that as a criticism because I think it's been additive. It was good to see Mare in a different world and to see someone like her and see all the interactions and it gives Jean Smart something fun to play when she answers the door. It's great. It's yeah. a bonus. But it's but not in terms like of our understanding to everything. Of the character, it's it, like the, the Bethy plot line with her brother winds mm-hmm. up leading to this bag of clothes, mm-hmm. which winds up connecting the dots between Billy and Aaron. The necklace and the... Yeah. So uh, like that had some connective tissue. So far, the Guy Pierce thing only... He's only really interacted with um, Gene Smart and Kate Winslet, if I remember correctly. I mean, in the first episode, Lori is like... She's like, tells Lori to call her in 20 minutes. Oh, you know, that's to right. Interrupt that's it, right. But that's, that's basically it. That's right. Um, before we get into the weeds of the John and Lori and the fishing cabin and all that... Two things you, you meant. We talked about when Richard came over. That did 
provide another scene where Gene Smart walks down the stairs of the split level to the door. And I don't know if people read this in the profile of Gene Smart uh, in the Times, but do you remember there was an, a scene a week or two ago, and I don't remember if it was Richard at the door or Zabel. It's Zabel. But, yeah. But Helen it's is like, like, who's going to pick her up? It's like, but Gene Smart is like sitting on the, 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 the banister above and like leaning over almost like in a feline posture. And I, that stressed me out. Yeah. And then I read that in filming it, she got so into that and thought it was so funny. She actually accidentally fell over and broke ribs. Uh, so now that's the most stressful sight of the show for me. I'm just, I can't get over it. We almost lost a national treasure. But the thing that I wanted to focus on before we get back into the who done it and why done it and all that was the thing that I think is what I carry with me out of the show, which is the real, the really deep emotional richness of some of the character work and particularly the acting work. And you mentioned the Bethy thing. And, um, there's also, what's Katie's mother's name? I'm, I, I'm blanking on it. You might not have it at the tip of your tongue either, but, um, Dawn, Dawn, Dawn. Yeah. The, the, the track that was laid and the performance that were given by the actresses playing Dawn and Beth, and then also with, with Kate Winslet is so rich that I was really moved by those scenes where, um, their high school friend and sometimes the person who drives them crazy in mayor is also like the, the, the fairy woman to the other place. You know what I mean? Like yeah. not to make it myth- mythological. No, I think that's she absolutely right. With them as these massive um, transitional moments occur yeah. in their lives. You know, the death of Beth's brother, the return of, of Dawn's daughter. And they're played there. It's just lovely to see. And I think the director Craig Zobel deserves credit for this too. They're earned, so they're underplayed in the moment. Yeah, I don't. And know? they don't even overstress the thematic nature of like Kate Winslet. I mean, Mare talks about mm-hmm. obviously. I think superficially because I think the real haunting is from what happens to her father and what happens to her son. Mm-hmm. But she just to discuss like I am celebrated for this one moment in mm-hmm. high school, and I just don't feel like that's me. And she talks about it with the therapist. She's like, I I just think people are expecting things from me, and meanwhile. In this moment, in this episode, she actually does have this a kind of a highlight reel. I mean, she mm-hmm. is accountable to uh, Zabel's mom, even if she gets slapped twice in a very stirring scene. She is there for Bethy. She is there for Dawn. She tries to be there for her daughter, even though I think that's a really difficult moment for her. And she's there for Lori, even though... I would, you know, you could make an... She, the the Lori thing is like a little bit weird for me because I just feel like that they're not playing John, Lori's husband. Like that guy is now the Deacon Mark in the Deacon Mark zone yeah. where like Let, he's he's not just cheating on her. So I just don't yeah. know what he did. Well, let's get back to that. I, I, I think that um, you should also add to the list of Mayor's achievements was being open to... Um, Kevin's ex as, as her, her grandson's mother. Yes, right. Which I... The bathtub scene? Yeah. I mean, I, I now trust the moral footing of this show that I mm-hmm. knew that wasn't going to happen, but they still did it, which didn't love. I yeah. mean, but it worked. I mean, it was effective. I get it. I want to uh, just speak to this episode. I want to get into the Laurie and John stuff. We should end there. But I just want to, about this episode, as a show, talk about this episode as a showcase for the performance Kate Winslet is giving. And the thing that I kept thinking of was, Often when we talk about actors in a role for not necessarily multiple seasons, but multiple episodes, the benchmark, at least in the way we talk about it, is can they turn it on? Can they turn it on in the moments that they need to, de- to deliver certain things? And that 
actually trickles into production as well, where there's just a blur of dozens and dozens of days. And, you know, I don't know how actors do it. I'll stop there. I don't know how actors do it. But inevitably, on a production side, you circle a Wednesday three months from now, and you're like, oh, X is really going to have to turn it on that day or bring Mm -hmm. it that day and access, you know, a crazy well of emotion that actors can do and and weep on camera or or wail on camera or whatever is required of that day. And then somehow, so naturally, so that it can be stitched into a whole. And the thing that I love watching Kate Winslet week to week, scene to scene, is that with the real greats like her, it does not appear to be on a switch. It's on a dimmer or it's on a, like, you know, like those big boards that, that people have in, when they're making music and I never understood them, but you pretend you understand what they're doing, like a mixing board. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, can I get a little more? And you see someone push something up a little bit and you're like, oh yeah, that's good. Even though you don't know what that did, it might not even be plugged in. That's what she has access to. And an episode like this, I was just like, I can't believe Inglesby gave her a flashback to finding her son hanging in the attic. I know, I know. And I, I, I was, again, maybe this is meta. I was outside of the moment, maybe because the emotional reality of the moment would be too tough to watch as a viewer. And I was like, so they went handheld for this. And it was just a day in the middle of other days. And you had to go back in time and run and be present. And she can I thought do it. The, I thought both it's examples, incredible. the two flashbacks that they've had, the Kevin... Kevin's suicide flashback and Kevin and his girlfriend stealing from her bathroom mm-hmm. scene were both like actually extraordinary. Like, and I thought they actually brought like a kind of like visceral feeling to, to like the way that family cracked apart that you don't necessarily get even mm-hmm. with Lawrence Olivier telling a therapist about it. Like there is something to be said for being able to like see and feel something rather than just hear it. Um, yeah. Although, although she can tell us and in, in, no, in, in the talking yeah. works and even when, and I, I was surprised by this as much as anyone, the therapist turned into the therapist from Falcon and the Winter Soldier in this episode. And clearly like, I'm so glad you came back. I've just got like um, a punch list of stuff sure. we got, some trauma we have to relive this week. So can we yeah. just get into it? The, like, the, I didn't, the East Town like matriculating back onto the, the force seemed pretty, pretty seamless even after a shooting like that. <laughs> yes, but I also just feel like if I had known there was a uh, accelerated therapy option, I think I would have been, you know, <laughs> no, my whole life would be different. Um, all right. So briefly getting into the finale, what is it, it's set up as John is going to go Fredo Billy out in the Poconos and that Mare is on her way to interrupt that from happening. Um, John being like, I just need to go kill Billy. If that's indeed what is happening in this, this gun in the tackle mm-hmm. box is supposed to be, uh, you know, what, what that's for. He, I just don't think that that is simply because he does not want like disgrace to fall on the family. You know, I, I think that mm-hmm. there's another secret that he is trying to keep. Yeah, I mean, there's speaking of of dimmer switches, you could go. This could be banal, or it could be horrific, and it could be that both brothers had a relationship or something inappropriate. There was some sort of pact or understanding or agreement because if you track John's. Uh, the way he gets information in the episode, you know, it's very, very much about damage control and the way that he says to his brother, I need to hear you say that you killed her, does not seem to be, especially judging by what comes next, it does not seem to be based on a, wow, okay, I believe you, now we better let justice take its course. It seems to be like, that's a story we agreed on, or that's something that needs to be said for whatever reason. The darkest timeline version of it implicates Laurie as well. Um, you know, 
in some larger understanding about what happened or what needed to be undone. Uh, there was words that she says in the episode loom larger, where she's mm-hmm. like, you can't stop loving someone. You know, I wish that you could. So that's all uh, worrisome. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I, I, I would say just as a regular viewer of television, I, I don't think both brothers are coming back from the fishing trip. Um, TBD, TBD, who, who's, uh, who's catching the big fish, so to yeah. speak, in the David Lynch metaphysical sense. Sure. Unclear. Where are you? I mean, it is baked into the DNA of the show. Apologies for this, but that everyone kind of has the same DNA. So it would be out of character with the show for Mare to solve the case without blowback on herself or her own sense of the world, which is the small argument you could make for the Siobhan or surprise murderer piece. It's also the argument you could make for the the Lori culpability in some way, because that's a very close relationship for Mare. Mare just solving it and then we're done doesn't seem to be where we're going. The so, latter seems to make the most sense to me. The latter seems which, to make the, the most sense. The, the Lori part? That it's the Lori part. Because I think the Siobhan thing just feels like it's a different kind of show if that happens. Do you know what I mean? But, like, But we're also, we've just, we talked about it and then we went away from it just like the show itself. There's the Richard piece. Yeah. Like, is that going to be, would it be better or worse for Richard to just be a charming red herring for seven episodes? Who randomly, but isn't Richard with Mare the night that Aaron gets killed? That is my memory of it. I mean, yeah. I'm, you know, apparently you can be with someone all in bed all night and then and also get bounce. up and go smoking. Well, no, Mare leaves at a certain point that evening. Yeah. Like, but I just felt like while they were at the bars, it was cross cutting with what happened to Aaron. Yeah. And where's Faye, by the way? Excuse That's me. True. That's true. <gasps> I'm ready for um, her finally to speak and be like, yeah, I did it. So we're going to do Top Chef on Friday. I hope you guys are enjoying our bureau recaps. We had the th- season three and four one go up last week. Uh, so we'll have Top Chef and some other stuff for you later this week. And then hopefully we'll have some really fun mare stuff next week for the finale after the, after the finale airs on Sunday. So we're really looking forward to all that. Andy, thanks for joining me today. Have a great week, Bransky's. You too.